We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Grab your Sony Walkmans and pop in your cassette of Ultravox because it's time for another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we are going to be looking at the latest episode of Doctor Who, Mark Gatiss's Cold War. So the story goes like this. 1983, the North Pole. A Soviet submarine has found a frozen ice warrior who has escaped from his frozen captivity. Into this mix, the doctor arrives just as the submarine plummets towards the depths. He manages to save the day, sort of, by crashing the submarine against an underwater shelf, thus halting their certain death spiral. The Ice Warrior is Skaldak, Grand Marshal of a whole bunch of different titles. He is beginning to negotiate with him when the Soviet sailor stuns him with a cattle prod. The doctor is now worried that Skaldak will treat that as an attack on himself and the entire Martian race, thus resulting in their desire to totally obliterate mankind. He suggests that Skaldak be chained up. Slowly gaining the trust of the Soviet captain, the doctor convinces him that they must negotiate with Skaldak, but the captain will not allow the doctor to do it, and the doctor does not think that the captain can do it. So Clara is sent in as a proxy. During the discussions, she realizes that Skaldek has left his armor and is now free in the ship. There proceeds a series of cat-and-mouse games between Skaldek and the crew of the submarine as Skaldek attempts to launch a nuclear missile and destroy the human race. In the end, the fate of mankind is in the hands of the mercy of Skaldek and the persuasive powers of the Doctor and Clara. All right, Ben, let's start off with, uh, let's see, who shall go first this time? Should it be me or should it be you? You You go first. Oh, no, 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 you go first. That's that's Uh, fine. uh, fine. No, because I always go first. That's true, you do always go first. Well, I love this episode then. I really love this episode. I, I, if wouldn't put it at the best since the return of Doctor Who in 2005, it's darn near it. Um, And on second viewing... I still of that opinion. There are just the minorest, minorest of quibbles that I have with this episode. And all of them are not the episode's fault. They are the series' fault. It is a brilliant homage or recreation or even updating of the classic Doctor Who story from the classic series. The format, the content, the type threat... It's it's flawless, and it's, to me, an example of what New Who could be if they just stopped getting hung up on themselves with these big story arcs and overtly romantic companion storylines. I loved it. I really loved it. You're not alone. A lot of people really love this episode. Not everyone, though. Not everyone. But I very, very, very few people disliked it not many i think for most people well no no that's not that's not to say that's not fair 
Um, I, I believe, I, I believe that most people love the episode, but there are a number of those Who fans who wanted very much to love it, but are unable to because it didn't quite measure up or something just didn't quite fall into place or something just didn't quite track very well in the story. So it kind of fell short for some people. You know, some of the dissenters that I've heard uh, have not liked it because it's old Doctor Who. That's not one that I've heard. That's, that's I, I've heard that one. It's like, you know, it's too much like the old show. It's not. Really? You know, it isn't, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, yeah. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Well, that one's new. They're, uh, I don't they're wrong. With that. I, I don't agree with that criticism. I mean, I do agree that it is. It really does harken back to classic, like a, a, a nice good Troughton episode, but I would not categorize it as a criticism. Hardly. In fact, I would think of that as an asset. I mean, to me, that that's that's um, one of the best things they could have done with this episode was to harken back to those classic stories that that you and I saw when we were growing up. It, it is a classic, quote unquote, base under siege story, of oh, which yeah. we've had very few in New Who. Um, oddly enough, Waters of Mars is one of the few that we've had. Oddly enough, yeah. Um, Mark Gatiss, who has done several other episodes of New Who, including um, The Evil Dead. No, that's not its name. Um, The Zombie Gas People. Unquiet Dead. There we go. There you go. Uh, Victory of the Daleks, the the much-loved Dalek story. The Idiot's Lantern. Mm -hmm. Um, Night Terrors. Night Terrors. Which was... I rather liked that one. I, I didn't. I don't recall disliking that one. Uh, I just, liked it you better know, than so, you did. I think that may be the case. But I didn't hate that one, but it was, eh, you know. Sorry. Well, it's certainly improving from the week before. But this one is just, you know, he's he's on his form. And I think part of that is because um, I have read some of Mark Gatiss's uh, written Doctor Who uh, when he was writing for, you know, other doctors during those those lost novel years. And I've seen what he can do in terms of getting the details right. So, an example, uh, he wrote a story called The Mark of the... I, I, I cannot pronounce it, and that is one of the sad things about having it in writing. It's like the Grenderine or Grenadarine or however that is pronounced, which is a Pertwee story. And I defy anyone to find anything in that story that isn't dead on with a 1970s Doctor Who long format episode. I mean, the voices of the people speaking, the the textures of the town and the the even the the village characters who are in this are just dead on with what you would expect. And that shows to me an attention of detail that he sees it and can apply it. And that's kind of what I see going on in this story. I mean, he's got not only classic Doctor Who, there's lots of nods to classic Doctor Who episodes. There are nods to other movies. There are lines from Quatermass stories. There's obviously a a, a tie into Aliens. Um, there's oh, there's Das Boot and there's, there's, Hunt for oh, Red October. and Abyss, Alien, Aliens, The Hunt for Red October. There's a dash of E.T. at the end. 
it's yeah, and and he's brought all that into one well done package. So I, I I give him full points, full marks for getting this one spot on. But I gather from your your statement that you hold some of those reservations. I do. I wanted to love this episode. God, I really did. I watched it twice now, and I will admit, it it, it not only does it hold up on the second viewing, it's actually, I, I think it actually gets a little bit better, but it doesn't quite match up, and I think part of the problem is that there's, there's some wasted storytelling. Uh, one point is, you've got the Doctor and Clara who just, they materialize, you know, and this is this is classic. Who, you know, the, the TARDIS materializes in the wrong place, wrong time. Okay, you know, or that, the right that's, place, yeah, or right place. I mean, uh, you know, if you want to refer back to the Doctor's wife, yes, the TARDIS always took the Doctor to wherever he needed to be. So perhaps this was where he needed to be. But in any case, it's always it's a nice nice nod to past episodes all the way through into uh, Peter Davison. Where just showing up where you were not intending to be, I like that. Actually, you know that's a good point because uh, most of most of New Who, the Doctor lands right Pre- where he wants precisely to precisely where he wants to. But be. you know, now I'm thinking about it. How many episodes where he's landed in New Who where he didn't want to be? I can think of two off the top of my head. One of which is Cold War, and the other is Unquiet Dead. Hmm. Remember, he was trying to take her to That's London, right. and, and he goes, and oh, he, was, it's he, had, the, he wrong. had the year wrong. So Mark Gatiss is the only one that knows that Dr. Is TARDIS is not supposed to arrive where it's targeted, apparently. At least where he thinks it's targeted. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So I, I like that idea of the TARDIS just showing up in the midst of this submarine catastrophe. But now we've now we're spending a lot of time with this situation where the the captain and his first officer, they don't know who the doctor is. And I'm not saying that this is a bad story idea. I'm saying that we have valuable real estate in terms of storytelling time. You need to get your story established. You need to get your characters in place and you need to get your all, all your plot movements, all your plot elements, you need to get them moving in the right direction, pace them at the right speed, be able to make those left turns if that's your intention. You've got to have all these things lined up just right in order to maximize your story. And instead, I think we're kind of wasting time with this, well, who the heck are you? And really, because that is not germane to the rest of the story. Because it all becomes about about them versus the Ice Warrior. So having the command crew of the submarine at odds with the Doctor, all that does is it just it, – it, it not only delays – I mean I, I, I suppose you can make the argument that it is creating uh, a greater problem in relation to capturing the Ice Warrior, reasoning with him – uh, but at the same time, if you want to talk, if you just want to look at it at the episode, you're wasting valuable storytelling time. Well, okay, so two things. Uh, again, what I was saying that I felt that the few things that I could nitpick on this are functions of the series itself, not this story. And you hit on one of them. They're too short. Um, Doctor Who episodes in this version are generally too short. 45 minutes to tell the entire story. 
leaves them with too much need for shortcuts and uh, rushing around when there should be a little time. So I find it hard to believe that they would come up with a likely excuse for the doctor to arrive on the TARDIS and for the Russians just to go, yeah, okay, why don't you help us with the Ice Warrior? I mean, there no, has I, to be I a agree. certain amount I, of, like, who are you? I don't trust you. You you arrive at the same time the Ice Warrior does. I mean, that was always the classic problem in old Doctor Who, was that he arrived at the same time everything went south. And so, naturally, the people around would take him as the cause of those things. So, I, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, that they're, they're having to spend some time there. And maybe well, too much, but, but, yeah. I'm not finished. Okay. Next no, thing. you are finished right, right now, old son. All right, I'll go ahead. The next thing, it's it's Stepishin. Now, here we've got this first officer who we've just spent a bunch of time uh, setting him up as some sort of an... He's, so, he's taking on an adversarial, road, uh, adversarial role to the captain. Which is in every submarine movie ever, ever. made, including Balance of Terror on Star Trek. Oh, yeah. It's okay. it's totally cliche, mm-hmm. but in the past, there's always been some kind of there's been a payoff to that, and here we are. We're expecting it's it's almost telegraphed that Stepishin is going to ally himself with Skaldak. We even have a dialogue between the two of them where he's trying to strike up an alliance, and what happens? He dies. This was wasted character development. It meant nothing it towards is. the end because uh, I mean I love the idea of them going against type. I think that's great. The problem is that again we have this limited amount of storytelling time, and they've just wasted God knows how many valuable minutes. And when you have when you have just one episode to tell your entire story. You need to maximize your minutes. And I agree with you. This is, this is more of a, a, a criticism of the series now. But still, it's, it's, it's reflected here, I, this episode. I, on second viewing, was looking at this story. And, and I won't say that this was in the writer's mind. Okay? But I see another reason for what uh, the first officer did. It wasn't... Yes, it is the standard cliche. Yes, you are expecting him to do a alliance with the Ice Warrior. Okay? I, I, I get that. And I felt when I first watched it the same way. But on second viewing, I realized that I'm an old man. And so are you. And because the Doctor has to do something in this story that would never have to be done in a story written for you or I. But it would have to be written done for my kids. And that's two things. You have to explain the Cold War. You have to explain mutually assured destruction. Because this is not something that they've spent their lives living under the threat of. And so, when the Doctor explains the Cold War to Clara, and even when they talk about the mutually assured discussion, it's like in real life... If you look at mutually assured destruction on a piece of paper, it's logical and it makes sense. You go, well, okay, you're right. Nobody would ever touch off the nuclear missiles because they would die themselves. Therefore, this is a logical solution. 
Stephenson's not there to help the ice warrior. He's there to help my kids understand just how batshit crazy dangerous these people on the button because Stephenson's on the button. He's oh, one of the two oh, guys. He's and an he's, an he's actually to patriot. scare them. Yeah. He, he's, you know, so, he's an uber patriot. And that is his purpose in the story. It is to convey the, the genuine danger that existed, that the slightest make, that a hothead of any kind like that is in a position where he could help destroy the world if he I got the chance. I not disagree with you more on that one. Boy, are you, I know, no, boy, are you wrong. No, that's exactly what it's No, for. you're not, you're wrong. You're just too old to understand it. Oh, bullshit. You are. Uh, no, you're wrong because that's not that. That's a bad way of storytelling. Because you still show, you don't tell. No, 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 no. You and that's what they do. Convey him in that manner as you just described, and do it successfully without having to build that entire. Why did they run the drill? That's not the. Why did why? they run the drill? Well, because he was a crazy son of SOB. No, no. Why did they run the drill at the beginning of the episode? It was uh, you. Uh, let me see. To How did demonstrate. You, it was Who has exercise. their fingers on the button? No. It, no. That's what the captain said. I know that's what he said, but I'm talking about for the audience. Why did they run the drill? They ran the drill to show you that they were on the trigger. That Stephenson was we on the trigger. We know that. You don't understand it until you realize irrational people had their fingers on the trigger. And the, the doctor trigger. explains that. You can explain all day, but you don't get that. It's like, that's a scary monster is not as... Convincing or conveying as showing a scary monster. Stephenson is irrelevant to that. You you know what? You know what's relevant? The Ice Warrior. That entire situation between Skeldak and the Doctor. That is a microcosm right there. There is your Cold War right there. You don't need Stephenson to show how insane things were back in the 80s because it's now being portrayed right there between that Ice Warrior and that Time Lord. So Stephenson is irrelevant. No. No. Yes. No, you're dead wrong. No, I'm not. Uh, you, you're, you're dead wrong. No, I'm and not. and I'll, I'll refer so to Pertree. Right on that one. I'll I refer to so Pertree right. on that one. You can't. You, uh, it's it's no more dangerous to show one. them on. It's more dangerous to have a Yeti in the loo in walking than it is to have a Dalek on a planet far away. And you are demonstrating that the danger that we are talking about is human and real. And you have to understand the threat. And that's what he's doing in this story, one way or the other. You, know, you, can, you can tell them all day, but you are agree. not going to convey that to people who do no, I did not do live I do not through. agree with you on that one. Well, you know, you're entitled to be wrong. And so are you. I know, but I never am. Uh, neither am I. Not this time. <laughs> well, what else are you wrong on in this episode? Uh, nothing. Oh, so you agree with me then? Nope. I think you just didn't think about it. Anyway, all right, let's move I on to the next. Uh, let's think on to the next it piece. Twice, and I discussed it to no end with other people, just not you, because I didn't <laughs> want to discuss it with you yet until we had this podcast. Well, but I, but believe me, I do not agree with your assessment on that one. You don't think that that conveyed that in any way? Because nope. I have little kids here that can tell you otherwise. Ah, uh, ah. So people who didn't live through the Cold War. People who didn't realize just how dangerous it was. And that's 
You can't. You cannot do that it's through just bad, dialogue. It's a bad storytelling. He's not portrayed very well. If, if you're going to use Stepishan as your example as to how nuts things were back then, then it was badly done. You don't that think he was nuts? Totally ineffective. You don't think he was nuts? I think he was nuts, yeah. You don't but think I've he always, was dangerous? Pointed out, I'm an old man, so I've got the mental faculties to be able to look at that and say, yeah, that's a nutty character. But a kid's going to take a look at that and not fully understand all the, all the depths, all the cultural insanity that was going on in the world. They're not going to be able to look at that guy and figure it out. So that's why you have parables. That's why it's so spelled that out. No, it was not spelled out. It was not spelled out at all. It was a it was a waste of time the way you use it. Whenever the most valuable lessons that anybody is ever given is in the means of a parable, and sometimes you have to take fictitious, outrageous characters in order to get that parable across. And that's what the Ice Warrior and the Doctor were for this. There is your Cold War. Not Stepishin. It was badly written. It was badly done. He was a waste of time because nothing came of him. Except conveying what they were trying to convey with him. He didn't convey squat. He did. No, he didn't. Well, listeners... In your old shriveled brain, maybe he did because you're an old man, as you pointed out. Right. So I would look at that character and say he's not accomplishing anything because he's not... He's not telling me anything I didn't already know. But, but he is telling things to people who don't know. Rubbish. Uh, they wouldn't have had to explain the Cold War to me either if, if it was written for me. But it isn't. It's not doesn't written matter. for us. It doesn't matter. Not in the slightest. It was a badly written character, and he was badly used in that episode, and it was a waste of valuable storytelling time. And what would they have done without it? You could have built up more of the tension. I mean, because you, you've got a... This is not just a Cold War going on. This is also a monster movie, as we pointed out. Gatiss is taking a nod to Alien. There was not enough time to really make that threat terrifying. And there, you, they, I think you could have done a really great job of doubling the terror by having this... This alien who wants to see the Earth get destroyed uh, versus uh, the doctor who wants to – who will do whatever it takes to stop him and at the same time have him go about throughout the ship, not just, not just killing people off one at a time, but you could, also, you could also say that maybe he's killing off those who he thinks might stop him. I mean you could, make, you could turn him into a serious – a really serious scary threat who's not just acting as your typical monster of the week, but one with incredible strategic intelligence. And we don't get enough of that. He, the Ice Warrior himself is shortchanged because there's too much time spent elsewhere. And Stepishin is part of that. He was totally useless to the story. They could have done away with him. Or just he could have been any other member of the crew. We didn't need that adversarial characterization. It could have been better spent on the Ice Warrior. I don't know what else more they would have done with the Ice Warrior. Uh, they they spent enough time of him scaring my kids. Uh, I didn't get enough of, up of that. Um, I did not get enough of him. I felt that he was being shortchanged for an alien that we have not seen since the seventies, and I, I was really looking forward to seeing this ice warrior to see what he could do and while we got some glimpse of it i felt that there was not enough justice done 
And and considering that this is a, a species now that, I mean, okay, we know that they're scattered throughout the universe. They no longer live on Mars. I felt there were a lot of unanswered questions that I would just love to have given to me. And just so much that I wanted to know. And instead, I felt that we were shortchanged on that. And it could have been done a lot better. I suppose you could delve further into the culture of the Ice Warriors, which were basically sort of next-generation Klingons. Um, I, I, I admit I don't really care for that sort of honorable warrior BS uh, too much. Why doesn't that surprise me? However, I will say that in in defense of that, again, I felt Gatiss did a extremely good job of balancing the Troughton versus Pertwee ice warriors. Oh, that I would agree. I, mm. Because uh, we, yeah, had both, we had both they're your enemy and they want to take you over and they're ruthless warriors and they're dangerous, and then the oh wait, if they're on your side, they're actually an honorable race that does what they say. And that's, you know, that's kind of a difficult ass to continue to juggle because the ice warriors had their kind of had their menace taken away from them by making them members of the earth alliance or i forgot what it was in that particular the federation or or whatever they call it and i realize that's extremely far in the future and and but that's something that never happens properly in doctor who you notice if they have a if they have a character that progresses or a creature or a species and they progress uh, by adding new features to them. I mean, for example, we will never ever see another Ice Warrior story where they don't come out of their armor, because that's just the way these things work. Once you've introduced the concept, they are going to use it over and over again because people expect it. And it doesn't matter if the next time we see the Ice Warriors is five thousand years ago; they will still have progressed storematically, storematically, store through the story arc. Uh, to the point where they always have to take off their helmet. And so, you know, the Ice Warriors had kind of been stretched stretched thin. So, I, you know, that was, that was a tough balancing act. And also, I understand why Moffat didn't want Ice Warriors to return. I like the Ice Warriors. I had no problem with the Ice Warriors. But they are very much the lumbering man in a rubber suit. Well, they had been, although right. I hardly got that impression this time around. They they seemed they did a very good infin- job. Oh, I thought what 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 we saw here was infinitely better, and I I had this I had this great hope that the Ice Warrior uh, would be terrifying, threatening, lethal, and it was. There were a couple of scenes when he was in his, particularly right at the end, uh, when he's back in his armor, and he is plowing through the corridors of the submarine i don't know if you notice it i don't know if it's intentional or not but he barely can fit through there yeah i I mean as a as a hulking bulking monster coming through the submarine he's at a serious tactical disadvantage from his size so i'm getting him out of that costume and making him something else uh making him into an an, i don't want to say an alien because he's not really reminiscent of aliens he's he's really reminiscent of the TV series War of the Worlds creatures, yeah. uh, the great he big long... some sort of a lizard. Well, he did say he was a lizard. They, the the doctor said they were lizards that Martian lizards that that evolved. But you know, the three fingers was classic either George Powell or or 
series War of the World style fingers, um, although we didn't really see the whole body. But I, and I think that was a nod to War of the Worlds. I really do. Making the Martians look like that. Because it really didn't fit, if you think about it, with the armor. Why would something that looked like that make human, humanoid shape armor? Particularly if you've got three fingers, why would you make fingered hands? But, you know, that, again, that's a retcon. So, I'm not, I wasn't too worried about it. But it was like, yeah, those hands wouldn't fit in those gloves. (laughs) Well... That's because it was a cyborg. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt more... It, it. I would say it was more... If, if you're going to make any kind of a comparison, it'd be more like Dalek. It might be, because we never saw how big he was. I mean, his head was quite big. I mean, his head was human head size when the, when yeah, the helmet came. He, but we yeah, really I, never got to look at the body. We got to look at those arms, and it's obviously... I don't think they fit in uh, the actual arms of the of the outfit. It's possible. I, mean, I, could, I don't know. Maybe, but I kind of, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. It's never really shown. There's a lot of wiring in there, uh, but certainly the outfit looks bigger than the alien itself. Yes, absolutely. I definitely go with that. Uh, but, you know, the head was, I don't know. We'll have to see in the next episode when they bring the Ice Warriors back. Oh, now they'll have to. I wonder if they will. I. I I mean, I assume that since having made the costume, they'll now use it the next time the Pandorica opens. Oh, they'll find some excuse to bring bring the Ice Warrior back, and I it, that that's almost almost a given now. Yeah, I would I would guess they won't make it a one shot wonder. Have they done that with any of them? Any uh, of the classic uh, ones that they've brought back? They've all they've brought them all back more than once, haven't they? Well, okay. Well, how many of the classic monsters have we got? I mean, there's Dalek, the Cybermans, Sontarans, Silurians. Silurians. They've the only yeah. They've all been brought been brought back more than once, except, and, you know, except for the Ice Warrior. Even but, the even the uh, uh, the non classics like the Jadoon. Yeah, the know, Jadoon they, have been back several times. Yeah. So, yeah, they make the costumes. They can't afford not to reuse them. And in spite of any shortcomings that some fans may have felt regarding this episode i'm sure that universally a, a lot of them think that the it was it was an awesome thing to have the ice warrior there and they will want to see more of the ice warrior so now i think they'll be sort of obligated to i wonder if they bring them back i wonder if they think about that in other words i wonder if when they're sitting around at the right at the meeting and they're doing a pitch and and they say, you know, I'm going to bring in the Ice Warriors because here's my story idea. And they look at it and they go, well, we're going to have to make an Ice Warrior costume. That's going to be 6,348 pounds. But we can use that more than once. Okay, I'll greenlight the story. I wonder if that's part of the equation when they when they develop that. Mm. That would be awfully cynical of them. But it, I'll, I'll, well, yeah, I, but then I hate to say it. I, I, it, I, I hope not, but I fear that it is. Cool, double Zygons. Oh God! <laughs> there is one last thing that bothered me, and that was David Warner, who we haven't even mentioned till this moment. Uh, I was. Oh, he'd be dead. He'd be, he'd be dead on that story. You know, in a proper Russian submarine, they would have what's called a political officer 
uh, and a nuclear submarine in particular, they yeah. were very, very strict about their top-of-the-line, totally anti-Western uh, propaganda oh, yeah. people. And there's no way a character like David Warner would have been allowed to function or operate like that. Even in, if he was a scientist. Right. Even a, one of those wacky scientists that's always... Even though he wasn't used in any capacity as a scientist in this story. No, he didn't even come across as one. And when he, when he first introduces himself in the episode, I kind of thought that maybe he was just some... You know, the, the, the word that comes to mind is janitor. Because that's what, that's what he looked like. I didn't think of him as, as a professor, so that, that threw me for a loop. But as much as I enjoy watching David Warner act... And and be in whatever TV show or movie that he might appear in, and 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 while some of his scenes in this I thought were absolutely delightful, it felt like it was a waste of his talent. Would he have been better served as the captain of the submarine? Yes. What did you think of the guy playing the captain? Oh, Liam Cunningham. Oh, I thought he was great. Although the first first few words out of his mouth, I thought, "Holy crap! It's Sean Connery." Yeah, he he was he was. I got a, I, I got a total hunt for Red October vibe right at the very beginning. I think that was intentional. I do too. <laughs> I think that they were definitely uh, intending for us to see this as draws off of uh, uh, every submarine movie ever made. I mean, there was even that shrugger 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 kind of kind of sound, but we didn't have the singing though. I mean, we didn't have the the proper Russian. You know, all of them singing in unison and there, patriotic. No, because tunes, I but. think they were too busy running for their lives. Oh, and there's, I got one last, one last question. <laughs> okay, this, this is, this is just a question I'm going to pose here now. Now we are automatically assuming that from the moment we first get a glimpse of the sub, even before the doctor and Clara show up, that we're hearing them, even though we're hearing English. We are to accept that they're speaking Russian. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. No problem at all. My problem is later on when they have broken into two teams and they're on the hunt for Skaldak, and one of them has a line. He says, if we get out of here, we'll be bloody heroes. Yeah. Somehow, uh, I, I, I don't know, but I, I just can't think that the use of the word bloody will be part of the Russian vernacular. I can only assume that it is some generic swearish word in Russian being translated for British audiences, but I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I it, uh, to me that that that, that felt totally unnecessary. So could could it be a possibility? Um, for example, in the case of sailors, uh, in say other countries, we'll just we'll just pick Britain for an example that. When you get down to the sailor level, you're quite often talking about lower class people from, uh, and I mean, when I say lower class, I mean, you know, proper British lower class type people. So they've got more, more cockneys or more guys from the north or uh, people with stronger accents and coarser speech. And I felt when he said that, although, again, bloody always doesn't sound natural to me anyway. I mean, even I've heard it for years and years and years, but it just isn't a natural swear word. And I thought that that was just kind of like their accent, that they're trying to portray these as low-class grunts. I felt it could have been better. 
I don't know what words they could have used in his place in, in English, but you know, I mean, I suppose he could have had done, done Cockney rhyming slang. Uh, but I, I'm sure they could have thought of something that was not quite so um, English identifiable. So let's talk about the chameleon, uh, not the chameleon circuit. Let's not talk about the chameleon circuit. Let's not talk about the hads. We'll talk about the hads later. Let's talk about the TARDIS translator circuits. <laughs> They're working! They were working last week, too, and it was just bad writing. Because everyone else she could understand just fine. It was just the barky woman that she couldn't understand. And that didn't occur to me, because they were showing how she can't understand the barky woman. But come on, the rest of the people on that asteroid weren't speaking English either. So it was just it was just poor writing. The guy yeah, wanted to do a, a gaggy yeah. thing and yeah, wasn't it, thinking it, about it. And that if again, and so you, it was working. You got something right earlier when you were mentioning that there's a flaw with the series, and part of that is there's this terrible inconsistency between episodes. Uh, for example, the sonic screwdriver kind of used to a smaller degree this time around. Uh, although the doctor was threatening to blow up the sub with it, and I suppose it is possible that he could have done that, but it wasn't quite the magic wand that last week's right. episode portrayed it to be. But he did manage to scan for a, uh, an ocean shelf outside the submarine with it. So okay, so he's using it as a type of sonar. I think he was right. I mean, he and, was... and again, if it's sonic, I sort of don't have a problem with that. I, 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 There's no display on it or anything. Well, he's able to. He no display that we've ever seen, but he seems to be looking at something. We have one. We've got the official prop here. There's no display on that thing, and I'm sure BBC Worldwide. It, every every time he's he's flashing it and holding it around, I don't see a display on it either. No, yeah. But he he quickly flicks it and he stares at something. So he's looking at something on that handle. I don't know what it is, but we don't see it. But what I what I liked uh, about the translations I was getting at was the fact that Clara, Clara, Clara mentioned it at Russian. the worst possible time. It's like we're rubbish spies, aren't we? We we don't even speak Russian, and that's when it hit her. That is probably the Actually, most that was well done. natural. Yeah, that's the most natural that was, instance that was good. where a companion ever stumbled across the fact that. They shouldn't be able to understand this because she, you know, she she's making a perfectly logical argument in her mind, and then suddenly the pieces just kind of fall in place. It's like, wait a minute, why aren't they speaking Russian? Well, you know, and, yeah. and, and to be to be fair to Clara, at this point, this is still something of a game. Mm-hmm. It's not until later when she sees the completely ripped apart bodies that it now a whole new reality has sunk in, and. It's 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 now it's not just a bunch of playtime anymore. Everything before that is play. That's why she's so glib mm-hmm. when when she and the doctor are in the captain's office and she's I really speaking Russian. You know, that that whole bit. It to me, for for the amount of time that she's been with the doctor, I would find that totally acceptable. Yeah, I didn't have for any her, problem. For with her to it. behave that way. No, to- no. Totally believable. I think it was it, it, it will be interesting to see if they carry it forward next week that now that she's seen the visceral results of some of the things that can happen, whether or not she'll have a more serious um, attitude. It, well, she did kind of get a little glip at the end uh, when uh, when Seldak managed to disarm 
the missiles and she said, you know, save, save the, save the earth because that's what we do. Could be relief too. I mean, I, it could have been that. Triumph. Yeah. It could have been that. I mean, I, I know the Keith had a huge problem with that line. I didn't. It, it felt like it, it, it felt okay for her to say that. Uh, but at the same time, and maybe it is just a release of tension. So yeah, it will be interesting to see if her lightheartedness carries on. Uh, I would have to say it has to because of what we see with Clara in the future slash past, if you know what I mean. If it's her, yeah. If it's her, which I, I don't know. I'm, I was so pleased that there was nothing about the Clara mystery in this episode, as far as I could tell. No, in fact, this could this really was essentially a, a gigantic standalone episode, and for that, I'm very pleased. Unless, and I don't know what it would be, but unless there is something that plays into the Clara mystery, and it's so well hidden in this story, unlike all the other bad wolf moments we've had over the years, that we won't know it until we get to the end. But I honestly oh, I, don't think it's there. No, I don't I, think it's there, but I, I would be impressed if it were. I, I, I highly doubt it. I don't think they're that clever. Well, let's see. So, Ice Warrior, we talked about, uh, we talked about uh, the strange case of David Warner, who I thought gave... I, he was enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. He was enjoyable. I, I, I just didn't get... I thought he was here's, ill-used. Here's what I think he was there for. He was there to provide something that I don't think Matt Smith can. Um, previously, the Doctor's companions were more like wards. We've had this discussion instead of romantic partners. Right. And despite the fact that Clara called it a snogging booth in her first episode, in this episode, I felt like she was, again, kind of ward level. That hug she gave the doctor at the end was not in any way anything other than I'm hugging my brother and we're happy kind of thing. And that notwithstanding, which I think is an improvement, I think they should avoid that entanglement crap completely. Um, Matt Smith is still too young, though, to be the father figure. And I kind of feel like... Exactly. I feel like David Warner was there to provide her with the father moments when she encountered her moments of doubt. Yes. And so that's what his character was. So, I mean, he wasn't ill-used as that. He was substituting something that the first Doctor or or even, you know, anyway through the fifth or the fourth Doctor and could again, have done. I, I don't have a problem with that. My only problem is that I felt for an actor of his caliber, his role, as substantial as it was in relationship to Clara, felt very small. He only wanted to work in afternoon. I, I really don't know how they... How that, and I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up in, into more of that. This should have been a two-parter. Oh, I don't disagree with that. It should have absolutely been a two-parter. Um, we had. A, I, think it, I think it would have done a lot better for the plot, and it would have been infinitely better for the character developments as well. Because this, the best stories have good character development or good plot development, and this story should have been an abundance of both. And they both because because of the limit of t- the the limited time that they had to tell this one single parter. I felt that both of these kind of were shortchanged, and David Warner's was his character was clearly one of them. I felt that his character was shortchanged simply due to the limitation of time 
And it bothered me because I like him enormously as an actor and I liked his character. And I think that the, the, I, I felt that he could have been, he could have been infinitely more interesting if he had been given more time. Do you think the character was written after they knew it was David Warner? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. So they, you know, write a story without any casting in mind. And then however they go about their casting process, I don't know. Do do people like David Warner, you know, their grandkids are saying, oh, you got to get on Doctor Who, Grandpa. You got to get on Doctor Who. And so they call up the Doctor Who office or they have their agent call up the Doctor Who office and say, you know, David Warner would really like to be on an episode of Doctor Who. And then they fit him in. They say, you know, he'd make a great old scientist. The part's already written. It's, you know, obviously he agreed to it, so he doesn't think it's beneath him. But I, I really don't know. I mean, I, why you wouldn't cast him as the captain? Because I think he would have done an excellent job as the captain. I think, great I think, captain. I think Liam Cunningham did a brilliant job as the captain, and I, I have agree. absolutely no complaint about him. I think he, he, and he had much more screen time than David Warner. Much. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know what was going on. It may be that David Warner didn't want a big role. I don't know. I I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, It'll be interesting I to know, see what they do with Diana Rigg. Oh, yeah. All I know is that I would like to have seen more of him. Regardless of how he came into the part, how the role was crafted either before or after they knew that he was going to be in that episode, I simply would have liked to have seen more of him. I would have liked to have seen more of him, but I don't think I would have liked to have seen them rewrite a script to accommodate a star. Well, I kind of wonder if they didn't necessarily rewrite the script just to fit it in a damn 40-some-odd-minute time slot. I think it's a possibility. I agree. I think these Doctor Who episodes should all be two-parters. I mean, yes, there are some of these stories well, that are so bad yeah, no. that Here, I don't. But that's because they're bad stories. Here's, here's the greatest irony, and I, I, someone else has said this, I, so I cannot take credit for this. I wish I could. But... A great story, as in the Cold War, deserved a two-parter, while Mark Gatiss's, one of his weakest episodes, Victory of the Daleks, desperately needed to be a single episode. You know, it, it might have been better as that, a two-parter. It, I don't I, know. That, that whole it episode, wasn't a good episode. That whole know. story felt enormously thin to begin with, so making it two parts made it even worse. That's just, that's just my take on it. But as for Cold War, it really would have been an amazing two-parter. No question. I definitely think they had enough. They could have. They could have done. I that. think they could have done it. But and then, I would. I would love to get the original story that this is based on. Hmm. Well, it's something to look into. Yeah, I'm not sure. Keith found it. He or he didn't find the uh, where the, the actual story, but he found the reference to it, where that story came from. And I need to look. I need to try and find that myself. But yeah, he saw where this was orig- originally a published story or at least a short story that that Gatiss had written and I will be fascinated to find out what is there versus what we got I imagine it's I'm, could most, be quite different of, it, it, it could be very similar or it could be strikingly different so do you think it was uh, was it a, a, an Ice Warrior story do I think this was an Ice Warrior story? No, no. Do you think that the that the short story he wrote was an Ice Warrior story? Oh, because, oh an Ice Warrior. Yes, I, I believe it was. Because I could see how this totally not an Ice Warrior story. I mean, like I said, it's a, it, in a way it's alien, and to, to you know to a certain degree. So they could have told this story 
with any new uh, alien creature that they made up and not have to... I'm led to believe that it was an Ice Warrior story, but I'm not positive on that. Hmm. Because I could, I, could, I could see how you could re-spin it uh, both ways. So, what else have we got in this story? Anything? Uh, oh, like I said, it, I, and, and you pointed this out, and it, it, you were quite accurate in that. It really, there's a, a nod to a lot of, not just Doctor Who episodes, but movies as well. I mean, there was, there's The Abyss. There's Alien, Hunt for Red October. I mean, there's all these story things, and that's another reason why I think this would have been a great two-parter because you, you're drawing from all these these story motifs to really deliver some great suspense, some great tension, and maybe even a little bit of terror. And there just wasn't enough time to adequately deliver that. That's why I can't. I, I, I keep falling short on this episode. I want to love it very, very much. And I think that there's a lot there to love, but it's just, there's not enough for me to say this is the best thing I've ever seen. Well, I will give, I, I will end this on something very positive, And that is, I think this episode had the best production values I've seen in a very long time. It did look very good. Um, I was a little disappointed that, there that sub was tilted at 40 degrees on the side of the cliff and none of the yeah, they were uh, standing straight but... up i know i'm i'm going to forgive that <laughs> but as far as the set design goes i thought it looked great here's something about the the production that i that i noticed on the second viewing that i did not notice on the first viewing um very different music um it's i, I assume it's still Mar- Murray gold but it is quite different from his other themes it's more more military and he hasn't really been very good at military themes in the past i mean his the music he brings up every time unit comes out is not really very military um Mm -hmm. i'm not too fond of that this one had a more deep rich it just didn't sound like typical murray gold music and it's layered underneath all the noise going on much lower than usual, so it was harder to hear for me anyway. So, but I did catch it this time through, and I thought, you know, that's that's more. Um, I don't know. He's going for a different style on this one. I'm not seeing a music credit for this episode. Yeah, I'm sure it must have been. Uh, the, we, the the Twitter sphere would have been in uproar if somebody else had done the music. It's not so different that I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they got John Williams or nothing like that. But right. it, it's just, it was when I was hearing the cues, I was thinking, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a different area. That's, you know, not another rehash of I am the doctor or uh, whatnot. It's, it's a different theme. I'm looking forward to the soundtrack coming out. Well, I think that's it. I think uh, what we have left here is to let Simon uh, have his opinion and uh, we'll play that in now. So take it away, Simon. This mini-season of Doctor Who seems to be getting progressively better and better with every episode. And this episode felt like a return to the cinematic feel of the episodes like The Western and The Dinosaurs on a Spaceship from last September. Unlike Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, Ice Warrior on a Submarine didn't feel like so much of a gimmick. 
the Cold War subaquatic setting really tapped into that action espionage genre. If I had a criticism, it was that the middle section, with the horror sequences of the naked ice warrior hiding behind the pipework on the submarine, didn't quite fit with that. It felt more like an X-Files Monster of the Week story than the behaviour of a soldier who would take death before dishonour, in the manner that it has been implied, would befit this noble race. The choices made about what would be shown or not shown on screen were interesting. Initially, I thought the armourless ice warrior was simply not going to be shown on the screen. We'd never seen an armourless ice warrior before, but that was fine with me. But we were shown his scrawny hands that, I have to say, looked a little bit like the claws of a chicken. Then later, we were shown his head in shadow, which I thought worked quite well with the reds of his eyes. But when, on the better lighting of the bridge, he removed his helmet, his head looked a little bit cartoonish and less impressive. Meanwhile, the dismembered bodies that were supposed to have so profound an effect on Clara were not visible to us at all. We didn't even get the merest sign of blood spatter, which made it harder to recognise what she was reacting to. I also felt that Clara had been written slightly more as a generic companion in this one, and I could easily imagine Rose and the Ninth Doctor or Martha and the Tenth Doctor being in this episode with virtually no rewrites at all. But I suppose in creating a character whose distinguishing quality is mysteriousness, Moffat has given his mid-season writers a pretty tough time. Once again, both Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman gave excellent performances and there's a great supporting cast, not least the terrific David Warner in this one. With a satisfying ending and a trailer for a cracking-looking episode next week, it all adds up to a happy Simon. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Neither did I. <laughs> all right, well, next time it's... I believe the episode is called Hyde... And it looked kind of good. It looked kind of scary. Uh, but Cross. it's Neil Cross again. Neil Cross, yeah. I'm hoping. I'm, I'll put, plant looked, my flag right now. Looked, La- he couldn't write science fiction to save his life based on Rings of Akaten. No, but, but this, this like, looks like a like horror gothic, story. Yeah, a gothic haunt, uh, ghost story. So if you think about it, what was wrong, one of the things that was wrong with Ring of Akaten was it was too magical. And it was all like mystical and it's... And you know, now that and he's delving into the mystical. area of supernatural, maybe he'll play to his strengths. Maybe he'll play to his strengths, and this will be a rip snorter of an episode. So I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us, leave us a review on iTunes. Or stop by and visit at our website, FusionPatrol.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. Search for Fusion Patrol. Or just drop us a note at feedback at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. <laughs>